Welcome to the show, folks. This is Wrestling Changed My Life. Here we go. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's it's five percent of the ingredient it pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me taught me humility nothing can hit humble you more than wrestling i think it's the learning to adapt right you learn you learn how to adapt you learn how to solve problems you know if i look back my time i spent wrestling if it gave me one thing more than anything else it's mental toughness yes indeed ladies and gents you're listening to Wrestling Changed My Life. Thank you so much for tuning in. My guest today is Mark Schwab, who is someone that I like to call a mental coach extraordinaire. And I think you're going to understand pretty quickly why. He's a, a master when it comes to performance psychology and, and that type of thing. And that's what we talk about today. Before we get into it, I want to give it up to my fan of the week, Curtis Blackwell. That's Well, 23 on Instagram. Thank you for tuning in, good sir. Greatly appreciated. And that's it. Let's give it up for Mark Schwab. All right, we're here with Mark Schwab. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Really excited to get into this one. Just to kick things off, you were the sixth four-time state champ in Iowa history. And what I found really interesting about the research I've done is you talk about when you were in high school, you just had this mindset and this inner drive where you were just completely obsessed with it. And you didn't feel a lot of pressure to compete because you had put the work in. So let's just start there. What was it like getting into the sport for you? And where did that mindset and drive come from? Uh, well, I got into wrestling through watching my older brother. And, um, you know, I just kind of trying some different sports and I stepped in a little bit in fifth and sixth grade. Uh, but in sixth grade, I watched a guy on Iowa public television. I was in sixth grade and it was, his name is Jeff Kerber. And I remember the night very well, me and my mom watching Iowa public television. You know, I'm just a kid. I'm in sixth grade and I, and I see Jeff Kerber <clears throat> win his fourth, state championship at 126 pounds and the final win in the championship made it 126 and 0. So 126 and 0 at 126 pounds to cap off his career. And, um, you know, I don't know, man, I think maybe we all look for a burning bush somewhere in life. You know, we, we look for these signs that hopefully, try to direct us or, or, or give us answers, but it's only happened to me a few times in my life, but that was one time that something happened to me that night when I saw that. And from then on, it was, it was, it was all wrestling. It, wrestling was my life. I was steeped in, in it. I've heard you talk about that, that single-minded focus, where it, again, to your point, it's only happened a few times in your life. So would you say from sixth grade through high school or even longer that that's where you had the, the blinders on kind of? I would say till I was a, I would say till I was a sophomore in college, you know, I would say <clears throat> up till right around that second, third year, second and a half, third year in college, uh, I had it. And then I, I never had it again after that. I lost it. Did you ever get it again in coaching? Absolutely. Absolutely, I did in coaching. You know, my coaching's been sporadic. I've 
bounced around a little bit and, and, um, you know, that's never a good, good thing. Depends the reasons you're bouncing around, but I was bounced around there a little bit for a while just because, uh, you know, thinking that making a geographical change would, would somehow motivate me. And, um, you know, I probably should have stepped out of wrestling for a while instead of taking jobs that, you know, just taking a job to take it, you know? So, uh, but I did have it at coaching at different times. Absolutely. I had it the whole time I was at the university of Minnesota from 95 till almost 2005. And then from then on, it was sporadic right up until I got done coaching in 2016. You and I was my brother. And I was going to say it had to be Minnesota because you were there for so long, and that seemed like a special time with Marty Morgan, J-Rob, and you were really building something at Minnesota. Yeah, Joe Russell was the other guy. We were the we had we had the same coaching staff the entire time, you know. And I think that consistency, you know, especially when it's uh, when it's a good chemistry, that, that consistency is important because you know coaching staffs can change quick and and very often and uh we were able to keep the same group there for nine years together at least you know us four and um and uh out of those nine years that i was there we uh we didn't get a trophy my first and last year but the seven years in between we placed third second second third first first second so we had a great run. And that's one of those times in your life where you wake up in the morning with enthusiasm, with excitement, and you're just so ready to get going. And it's a magical it's a magical time to have that in your life. And some people never experience it, but it sounds like that was a time for you where you were just really in that flow state kind of. It was one of the greatest <clears throat> experiences of my life. And um, I'm very grateful to Jay Rob and, and, um, and that opportunity and very grateful that we really took full advantage of it. Yeah. I've had Jared Lawrence on and he <clears throat> talks about those days like Camelot almost. Man, it was just such a great time to be in the trenches of Minnesota wrestling with, uh, with the coaching staff and, and, and the guys we had on the team, you know, people have asked me a lot of times, you know, what was it, you know, up there at Minnesota? And, of course, it was a lot of things. You know, we were getting good recruits. Uh, we had a, a good chemistry on our coaching staff. I'm, and and but, but one, of the, one of the things that I think gets overlooked often, but we had it, was we had great team leadership. We had guys on the team t- taking care of things. You know, there were things that never even reached the coaches because some of these leaders were taking care of things and snuffing it out or, or you know, dealing with it. And uh, <clears throat> when you have that going on, that kind of leadership, that was a big, that was a, as big a piece as anything for, for our success. Yeah, I'm doing a documentary on, a podcast documentary on Gable now, and it's the coaching only part. And so during the, you know, the 88, 87 through like 91, where they didn't win, he talks about needing to find new extremists to set the bar. And kind of to your point, that seems like a key piece is finding guys who can lead the team who aren't coaches. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's going to speak. That speaks really loud. You know, we had guys on the same page. We had the kind of guys who were successful, but they would take coaching. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I lost my train of thought there. Well, I was going to so say we had the kind of guys that would take. They would take the coaching. You know, um, they. 
they bought in. You know, we had everybody moving in the same direction at the same time, uh, at least when it came to competing and excellence. You know, obviously personalities differ, but man, when you got a team of, I don't know, let's just say 30 wrestlers and five coaches, whatever, and everybody's moving in the same direction, everybody's pulling the rope at the same time, boy, that can be pretty effective. Pretty powerful. And you've been a guy, everybody I talk to who mentions your name says you are kind of a master of this, of the mental side of things. And that's something I've always been fascinated by because, God, it seems like even if you have the same routine, like the same physical routine, you wake up, you work out, you do your work, and then maybe get another workout in at night. On any given day, your mind can ebb and flow, and it's, sometimes it's so confusing because you try to control all these variables, but sometimes you're just in a sad state or in a different kind of state. You know, where did you? How did you get fascinated with with the mental side of things? Well, let me correct you. First of all, I'm nowhere close to a master at any of this. To be quite honest, if I was in my strongest position the place where i'm the most effective is is actually when i'm putting guys through workouts and i'm able to talk to them while we're doing it you know i'm able to to instruct them and build them up uh, you know those are the situations where i'm really strong or when i'm talking to the team um but getting out of coaching you know i uh I didn't always have the opportunity to be there when guys were training, you know, so I had to learn. I'm learning new ways to be effective. But the biggest reason I got into it was because uh, uh, I know how I struggled in the end, you know, mentally and emotionally and, and not having a clue how to deal with it. And then when I started gaining some awareness as a coach, I, you know, I, all these guys struggling, you know, quite often, and some of the best guys struggling, and and I seen it going on all over the place, you know. And you may be surprised where some of the guys, you know, there's some of these guys they look like they never struggle, but you know, when you're with them on a daily basis and in and out of the training, you you see it, and um, you know, guys, in my experience, had to. It was all about just physical training. You know, you, it, it was all about training harder and training harder. And, and in my experience, most athletes can't get everything they need from just the physical training alone. It takes care of some things. It takes care of the grit side. Certainly it helps build, you know, confidence <clears throat> uh, in one area. That's one extreme, but the other extreme that is talked about as being important but never isn't, isn't followed up at all is I would say the other extreme, the extreme of being able to be calm, cool, composed, regardless of what's going on, learning how to manage your mind, learning how to manage your emotions, learning how to manage your energy, learning how to be a human owl and recognize, uh, you know, the, the, the patterns of your thinking, because those patterns of thinking also render p patterns of feelings and, you know, feelings trump thoughts. And if they're the, you know, if they're feelings that are, that are going to be an obstacle or hinder us, that's not a good thing. And, uh, uh, I just found all these guys had no clue what to do. They didn't know how to, to manage any of this. And I know for a fact, <clears throat> I don't care where you're at as a, as a competitor, an athlete, or as a person, you can always improve <clears throat> your mental and emotional uh, condition. You, you, you can. It may be inches and ounces, but let's face it, man, when you get to the top, with those top guys, it is all inches and ounces. And if you can pick up a few inches or ounces here or there, 
you know, for a lot of guys, that's the difference between, you know, maybe being an All-American and not being All-American or winning it and not winning it or making the world, you know, those inches and ounces can make gigantic differences. And I just found that, that, uh, learning how to create awareness and, and, and exercise your mind intentionally, you know, away from the train where you don't have to have workout gear on, um, by just being a human owl and, and spend some focused time, there's some things you can do to, uh, at a minimum manage ideally master. And that's that mental and emotional condition that we're talking about and confidence, you know, confidence is right in there. <clears throat> Definitely. And you said something that reminded me, I think it was Michael Gervais, who's a, a sports psychologist who I interviewed years ago, but he said something that stuck with me to this day. He said, um, you know, thoughts lead to feelings, feelings lead to action, action lead to habits. And so it really starts at that kind of that grassroots level of a, of a thought right. and then transferring that to a feeling. So mm-hmm. what's interesting to me is you're able to spot this in athletes at a higher degree than most coaches. So let's just start there with the problem. How, like what symptoms are you seeing with guys where you're, you know, they're struggling emotionally or mentally? Well, the biggest thing is, is awareness. It's the awareness piece. I mean, you can't, grow, develop, adjust, achieve excellence until, until you create awareness. I mean, all great masters point within. And I think when athletes want to, well, like I said, it doesn't matter where you're at. Um, as an athlete or competitor, you can improve from wherever you're at. Um, I think, uh, but with one of your guys at like Minnesota, for example, and let's say it's January or February, and it doesn't have to yeah. be a specific person, but what, and even with yourself as an athlete, when you say struggling, what do you mean by you were struggling or that you saw your athletes struggling? Struggling to be motivated, mm. struggling to battle, struggling to want to compete. You know, ideally competing feels like enthusiasm, but I know for a lot of guys, competing sure in hell don't feel like enthusiasm at all. And, you know, that's kind of what I shoot for when I work with guys, at least at at a minimum managed and balanced, ideally enthusiastic about competing. And, um, you know, college season can get long and can get weary, you know, high school seasons, they're quick. They're, they're, there's not nearly the, uh, and I'm not saying guys don't work hard in college, but it's not nearly the grind and demand because a lot of your matches in high school, you're winning by touchdowns. You know, at least a lot of the guys are. Yeah. But in college at that high level, it's a lot of, you know, grinding out matches. And, and that, that starts playing on a guy a little bit, you know, and uh, just that day in, day out grinding, and, uh, you know, where's on a guy, you know, there, you know, when, especially when guys are cutting weight, you know, you start to see holes in their game there for sure. You know, as far as motivation and some of those things. And, uh, there's just so many things that can chip away at a, at a guy. And for the most part, most of them just, you know, they, they think they have to carry the load by themselves and just grit it out and deal with it. And that's lonely. It's a real lonely place, man. And, um, you know, just sitting down and talking with somebody and getting real just does wonders. You know, being able to tell somebody that, man, I'm just not feeling it. Or, man, I'm scared. Or, you know, it's... I think you got to have that. I think that communication piece has to be there. There's got to be somebody you can talk to and somebody that continues to, to, uh, um, 
coach you along, you know, and, and, and give you some simple tools and things to actually do, not just tell you to, hey, toughen up or, hey, just stop thinking about that. You know, those are, that's bad information. I mean, uh, really be able to give some simple direction to an athlete can go a long ways, you know. But my focus, you know, and what I try to do with, with now when I work with people is the main things I try to work on is, is uh, you know, the, the, the awareness, the recognizing, you know, how much of our, of our thoughts and behavior is just subconscious and, and how much of that subconscious can be detrimental and how we have to start identifying this and start adjusting and, and uh, untangling and rerouting and not making a big deal out of it, you know, not gritting and, and trying real hard, but we start creating that awareness and we start getting some consistency and start, start, you know, giving ourselves. Well, here's one thing that I, I start getting talking here, man, and then I, I start getting excited. But Me too, man. I'm getting up. We're, we're getting in the groove right now, man. I can feel it. I can feel it. Here's an example of, of um, something I was just writing about yesterday. You know, so much of competing, especially when we start talking about psychology or whatever, it's tied to our thoughts. I mean, most everything's tied to our thoughts. I mean, our confidence is tied to our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. I mean, thoughts are, are really what, uh, what, what, what keeps the fire going, you know, and thinking, it isn't something we do. It's something that happens to us. It isn't like, ah, oh, gee, I haven't thought for an hour. Let me sit down <laughs> and think for a little while. I mean, it's happening all the time, but it's so natural and so normal that, you know, a lot of times we don't even, we don't even recognize it. And, um, and I think that's the first piece. Like I we got to start recognizing, um, and, and fielding our thoughts, you know, start recognizing these patterns, start recognizing what's showing up. And what about when, we start judging ourselves for having some negative thoughts. That seems to be something I found common with myself as well as other people is. Yeah. Like, guys beat themselves up. Like the yeah. self judgment of, all right, let's say you get to that step where you have some self awareness and you're like, man, I'm just consistently not where I want to be. Then you start judging yourself. Right. Do you ever in encounter that out in the field? Absolutely. That's, that's called resistance or attachment. You know, guys, and, and those are things we talk about, too. It's a real easy-does-it situation. It's a real a little-at-a-time situation. You know, um, it's real slow-the-wheels-down situation here. You know, it, it's, it's like I said, it's the other extreme of the, of the grind of the... Of the you know, the raw energy, we're on the other extreme now. We're thinking more about slowing the wheels down, the calm, the cool, the focus. I mean, we're all going to be at our best, most likely when we're relaxed, in a relaxed state, you know, um, managed. You know, when, and breathing has a lot to do with that, you know, um, being aware of, you know, most of us breathe incorrectly, but start practicing how we breathe and, and those full, long range of motion breaths so we get the full exchange of, of, of oxygen and, and energy and, you know, just little things like that that we're doing all the time without any thought, but with a little adjustment, they can start making differences. But back to what I was saying, you know, with the, it's about fielding our thoughts, you know, managing them, replacing them, whatever, um, noticing them, 
And then, you know, it's not about trying to, to resist them or, or deny them. No, man, it's, I'm going to fully fledge. I'm going to fear. I can feel you right now, or I can feel you coming. You know, I have all the respect in the world for you. I'll tip my hat to you, but for right now, I recognize you, but I'm not going to take on the feeling. I'm going to let you pass on by. You know, if you're able to just do something small and kind of silly like that over a period of time, you really start uh, letting the air out of some of this anxiety, some of this stress, some of this doubt, you know, just by shining the light of consciousness on some of these things. Now, the next piece to working on the thoughts is about being intentional. It's about being intentional and, and doing it on purpose, saying it the way you want on purpose, writing it the way you want on purpose, seeing it in the mind's eye the way you want it. Rehearse it, uh, you know, like say it, feel it, write it, you know, be intentional about it. Do it on purpose. Carve out time during the day, you know, to, to build up. And it's all about a little bit at a time. It's not about trying to cover 10 miles in a day. It's about being consistent, staying with it, and, and, and ready, to, ready for this marathon. You know, I got, I got to stay involved. I got, I got to keep keep at this day in, day out, day in, day out. If I take a few steps back, it's okay because I'm calm, cool, and composed. But little by little over time, I guarantee you, if, if you make it a priority, you know, over a six-month period of time, you will be in a totally different place, you know, the season's going to go by no matter what you do. You know, November, December, January, February, March, they're going to go by no matter what any of us do. But based on what we do on a daily basis, a little at a time, we can be in a totally different place. You know, working on the mind, it, it, it's not that it's hard to do. It's just so easy not to do. It's uncomfortable to sit with your thoughts. But if we kind of recap what you just said there, cause it's really powerful. So step one is having awareness of the thoughts and, um, so that's kind of yeah, step one. You don't one. deny it. Right. Or try to stuff it, you know, like, Hey, I'm not scared. I'm not, no man, you, you, you acknowledge it, but we just don't get involved with the feeling that it's going to bring. And it takes time to do this. It, it does take, effort, but you're going to be thinking anyway. You know, thinking can't be stopped. It can only be changed. But I think most people, myself included, a lot of time we won't act or, or work on something unless we're at the extreme of motivation or the extreme of pain. And since most of us lie between those two po points for the most part, you know, we can sit in a shitty situation for a long time because it's just maybe not quite enough to put us into motion. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Yeah, that's... Or, or we're just not quite motivated enough when a lot of times we got to act first. And that's tough for all of us. That's like that low bandwidth of, of life, kind of like that, just that barely... You know, you're between the two extremes, like you said, and so you're you're not in enough pain to do something you're not feeling enough love to do something at the higher end of the extreme either and that's why these having a practice just like you would a weightlifting practice or a wrestling practice a mental practice is huge and it can take the form of meditation where you're trying to empty the mind and and then you have visualization which to me is completely different because visualization is a very conscious thing where I'm thinking about what I want and putting a lot of detail around it and really feeling it, sensing it, hearing it. Um, yeah, you're being intentional. Right. You're being intentional. Yeah. 
And then the journaling what, is huge to me, too. Absolutely. Journaling, writing words down weighs so heavy with the subconscious mind. You know, it just puts things in front of us again. When we write things down, they become more believable. Uh, it's something more we're likely to act on. I mean, there's so much power in the pen. Um, but, you know, when you talked about meditation and visualization, both of those two disciplines or practices, they're in conjunction with slowing your breathing down. Because when we can learn to slow things down, they become a lot more manageable. And that's why breathing plays a real heavy part in all this, because it is one of the few things that we can actually manipulate and control. And I learned a long time ago, if I want to change my thoughts or try to change my, my psychology, I have a better chance of doing that if I'm calm and relaxed first versus trying to change, you know what I'm saying? Totally. It's trying to change that. Yeah. Even <clears throat> just five deep breaths. Like it's your, let's say you're having just something's not going right and you're just kind of annoyed. And, and the worst part of annoyance is when you don't know where it's coming from. That to me is the most frustrating. It's like, why am I feeling right. like this? But even five deep breaths can make a difference. Sure can. So now we're starting to get to practical techniques. There's meditation, there's visualization, which to me is usually done not in the morning. I like to do it at night, put on some right. music and kind of sit there um, journaling and breathing. What other, you know, what other things are, are you seeing out there that's effective? Um, <clears throat> well, I tell you what, in my experience, in my opinion, for, for competition, the most beneficial uh, tool, in my opinion, is actually the teaching yourself to uh, to relax and 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 visualize and you know visualize execution you know rehearsing victory um, you know practice slowing down and being able to control and manage your mind. So when you get into competition and you're escalated, you know, you've spent so much time on this that you're actually able to, to manage yourself. But, uh, it's something you, you can't start doing it a week before state. You know, it, it it's something you really, you gotta, you, <laughs> You know, if people start doing it, a lot of times people will keep doing it anyway just because of the benefits, you know, and it's, it's, it's really great for recovery as well. You know, that's overlooked, you know, how it helps the recovery of the nervous system. And, and man, there's just so many benefits. Have you ever read the book, um, You Are the Placebo? Uh, no. It's, it's go it takes that to the extreme where... And it's it's kind of hokey, but I a couple people recommended it to me, and so I read it. But they, you know, you talk about recovery, but this guy goes to a level of saying that you know people just through thought have self healed themselves. And there's a study he cites where like seven people had a torn ACL, four people had the actual surgery, three people had just a small incision on their knee, but no surgery, but they thought they had it, and the results were right. almost the same. Isn't that incredible? It sounds insane, and people are listening. I and they're like, it, "I, I totally believe it." Um, but isn't that in, that is incredible? I mean, how do you, what do you make of that? It's just, I don't think we will ever realize how powerful the mind is. We won't. We won't. And you know what's sad is most people, it'll always, for the most part, be something they plan on getting to. You know, I know a couple of athletes. Well, I know a lot of athletes. But I know a couple in particular that, and their coaches, they knew this athlete needed this. The athlete knew it. The parents knew it. The coaches knew it. But for whatever reason, whether it was they didn't want to cough up a few crumbs or, or 
they just crossed their fingers and felt like things were going well enough. Um, you know, they didn't take heed. And, you know, history tends to repeat itself unless we make some major changes. And, and unfortunately, sometimes times run out. Competition uh, opportunities come and go real quick. And uh, it's like, what are you waiting for? You know, um, give yourself the best opportunity. Well, especially you now, know, we're in October. The app that helped me was this app called Calm, but there are many apps out there. It's a five-minute thing. Download it on your phone. Start now. It's October. The season ends in March. There's plenty of time now to make tangible changes right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys just have to, have to understand that it needs to become part of what they do. Yeah. It's not something that you try to fit in or even look at it like it's something extra. It just becomes part of what you do. You know, uh, that's the only way to get change and get results. But, you know, we talk a lot about inches and ounces, just little things that can make all the difference in the world. Because look at how many matches out there, so close they could go either way, and they're inches and ounces. <clears throat> and, again, you know, to stick with what we've been talking about, this, this controllable tool that we have, you know, breathing, um, you know, ideally – using our diaphragm, you know, ideally full range of motion, just by learning how to manage your breathing, here's some inches and ounces for you. It, it, here's some of the benefits of just doing that, inches and ounces. Helps you relax. It helps you focus. It helps you remain in control, awareness. It allows you to adjust the ability to tap in when you're actually in an escalated situation, helps keep you calm, cool, composed, allows you to recover, allows you to stay in the present, which, you know, a lot of our anxiety and fears are because we're too much in the future. You know, we're worried about what might happen, you know, and now is the only place that we have any control. Yes. But man, you got to be focused to be in the now. Uh, it allows you to re release tension, I mean, there's like 10 things right there, very simple things. Uh, and each one of those, just one of those alone is an inch or an ounce. You know, so, boy, it would really be worth investing your time. Because like I said, it's something we're doing anyway, but most of the time we just don't. Well, and it's like if, if I told you, hey, there's something going on inside you that happens about 10,000 times per day, I thought. There's about whatever the number is. I'm making it up. It's probably more than that, but there's something going right. on inside you happens a shitload every single day and it impacts what you do and it impacts how you treat other people. <laughs> Wouldn't you want to harness that? And it's Absolutely. neglected for most people. I don't understand why. And I'm not judging anyone because it's, it's uncomfortable. And especially in wrestling where it's kind of a macho sport, yeah. it's really neglected and that's a shame. Um, but you just hit on something else that is a central theme here is the, the present moment and anxiety coming from worrying about the past or the future or judging yourself for yeah. something you did in the past. Um, yeah. Pressure um, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, the great Hicks and Gracie, you know, there's a documentary on him called choke. It's on YouTube. It's amazing. And he was at the, uh, you know, this is before the UFC. He was at the Valley Tudo fights in Japan and someone was interviewing him and he talks about, how if you don't feel fear, he doesn't want to know you because he's he's scared of you because everyone feels fear and you should you should recognize it and um, and appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. But also have getting back to your point about the present, he says he has an empty mind. Like going into a fight, he doesn't have a plan. He's there. He takes what's what's given, and he has an empty mind. You know because he wants to stay kind of open to all possibilities. It sounds like that's exactly right. what you're hitting on. Sounds very managed to me. You know, mm -hmm. yeah, this whole macho thing, you know, that a man isn't afraid. Hey, we're born with fear. I just wrote a piece and, and, uh, I sent it to the guillotine and predicament. Uh, but I, I wrote a, about what, you know, as people and athletes that we're up against, I mean, we are hardwired for, for, uh, fear, you know, and, 
And thank God that we are because we need it for survival. But it's the irrational fear that, you know, that we need to adjust. I mean, there's no, if you're going to grow, man, you're going to, you're going to have fear. And, uh, do you um, think athletes at the highest level experience it too? Like a Brock Lesnar, like, are they immune to it or are they just managed it? 100% they do. I know Brock does. I actually worked with Brock a month, about a month to five weeks prior to UFC uh, 200. And um, we worked on some things. And, hey, man, there's no escaping it. You would have to be non-human to not have fear. You know, I mean, it's, we're hardwired. You know, we would get in trouble if we didn't have fear. We wouldn't have any, any, any gauges, man. We would be reckless. <clears throat> um, but it's that irrational fear. And, you know, the thing is, is we, we, can, we can have success in spite of fear, you know. But <clears throat> it, it's just when it starts getting in the way of us pulling the trigger, you know, when fear is, is, is rendering us basically handcuffed and, and we're not pursuing, um, you know, that's, that's when it's a problem. But that general feeling itself, hey, man, it's, it's going to be there, and, and it's, a, it's a good thing. Absolutely. And I, I know we're winding down here, but, Mark, uh, you and I could talk about this stuff for hours, and I hope to have you back on because there's so many things we didn't even get into. But one right. of the things we talked about before we went on the air was going back to your competitive career. When you were a young guy, even 21 years old, you had wrestled 10 Russians at that time. Well, you know, my international career was, was 18 through 21, so it was pretty short. My international career basically ended uh, my sophomore year of college. Um, you know, a lot of guys, their career doesn't even start till after they're done. Um, but I was fortunate, you know, I, I was a better freestyler than collegiate wrestler. And I loved to wrestle freestyle and was able to make a, a world team. Um, I remember, man, it was a rugged deal. I was a senior in high school and it was the, the world championships were in Colorado Springs, and it was a real world championship. There were 36 countries. John Smith was on the team, uh, Pete Yozo, David Lee, Ken Trutow. I mean, it was, you know, a real. But I had to go in there prior uh, because I didn't, I didn't wrestle. It was the one year that the National Open was out east. And uh, actually, Jim Martin from Penn State, uh, won the national open at 114. Uh, so he waited at the top, but I had to wrestle three different guys, one a day each day prior, and make scratch weight. I had to beat them two out of three times. And uh, <clears throat> I can tell you, man, by the time I had to wrestle Jimmy Martin uh, two out of three, you know, I, I was I was ready to go. And and in that world championship, I wrestled my first Russian, Vladimir Taguzov. And I'd wrestle, I wrestled him three different times. Uh, I lost 11 to 10. So that tells you that, that, you know, it might've gone either way, you know? Um, uh, so that was the beginning of my international career. And then, uh, it ended two years later. Yeah. And did you ever travel? I know you placed at Tbilisi. You got third at Tbilisi um, when you were a young guy. How old were you when that happened? Um, I was 20. Crazy. And the way, the way Tbilisi worked for me, um, the way Tbilisi worked is they had a, an international pool and the national pool. And, you know, their national pool was they would keep most of their Russians in there, but they would scatter some Russians in the international pool. Um, Why would they do that? Why would they mix everybody I don't together? Know. I don't know. But uh, um, I won four matches, you know, so it was legitimate. It wasn't like, <clears throat> um, 
I won four matches, and then I had to wrestle uh, the Korean, North Korean, who just won the world championship. And uh, I lost to him four to two. And then um, what I had to do, so I was four and one at that point, and then what they had me do is wrestle uh, the Russian who had got third in the national pool. Um, and then I beat him. So I, uh, and I also lost it to Guzov. I ended up five and two, you know, what a great experience, you know, at, at 20 years old, Osage, Iowa, you know, and here I am in the thick of things in, in, in Russia wrestling the very best guys, you know, and, and then, uh, <clears throat> the next year, uh, I redshirted that year and then, the next year, before the collegiate season started, I went over to Mongolia in November, which probably wasn't a good move to try to wrestle international, taking trips like that while your college season is going on. But I wanted that opportunity, and, and you know that was another great international opportunity to wrestle um, six matches and got third in the world cup there and uh went four and two and the team got third and then i came back and started my college career and that's when i can tell you <clears throat> right there that's when things started shifting for me as far as confidence Why? and i think i was tired some what you know i i wasn't competing the way that I knew I was capable and I might've just been going through something, you know, I might've just been going through something, but, uh, right before I got injured, um, I wrestled in the all-star meet, which was in Cedar Falls, Iowa. And, um, <clears throat> I lost to Jack Kuvo 10 to eight. And uh, I'd hurt my knee a week or two prior wrestling Danny Knight from Iowa State. I'm a big Danny Knight fan. He's been on the show. Yeah, it's from that's the same area where I'm from. Love that guy. Yeah, Knights are good they're good people. Um uh I'd wrestled Kubo earlier that year in um in the Sunkist and really had a, a great bracket. I ended up losing to Joe Gonzalez uh four to three in the finals of that. But uh when I was getting in on Kuvo, I didn't have any drive on my high crotch, and that's when we knew that, okay, let's get this scope because it's just, you know, mid-late November. But from there, you know, that's when tragedy struck, you know, from a simple orthoscopic surgery. Crazy. And you had staff in the knee, and unfortunately we're, <clears throat> we're wrapping this down. It's almost, I feel it's unjust to talk about, <laughs> hit on such an important thing. It might thing be with, something to go into another time. I think that's so. A whole that's a, deal. And like honestly, I want to get into when you were really in the groove and in high school and your early college. Like, what was your day in the life like? How many times were you working out? Like, what were you thinking about? And I, there's so we could almost do a separate one on Mark Schwab, the competitor. But this is honestly what I wanted to hit on was this mental side of things. And honestly, this conversation alone has got me feeling <clears throat> real good right now. So I I greatly appreciate it just for me selfishly. And I think the listeners are going to enjoy it as well. So last thing I'll say is when you look at um, you, what you're doing now with the, the mental coaching, um, Nick Perler actually said you worked wonders with his son. If someone wants to hire you, how do they do that? Um, I'm, I'm out there. You know, I, I got stuff on guillotine and, and Facebook and um, the predicament. Um, I'm, in dispute with a with a a website right now i i'll be honest with you um i got out of coaching three years ago and the first year i got out i was full board you know full bore doing this the second year i got out of college i didn't do it for a whole year any kind of performance psychology any talking nothing <clears throat> i pulled out totally Last year, I started dipping my foot back in the pool again, and now I would say both of my legs are in it. Um, Why'd you pull out? Just kind of a lack of enthusiasm for it, or other yeah, things going on? Yeah, I think on? so. But the one thing I kept doing 
was I kept self-educating. I continued to, to, you know, read and study and listen. And so even though I wasn't doing a lot of it for my own personal reasons, um, I can, you know, I developed quite a bit. And I tell you what, um, uh, I I did okay my first year out, but I'm night and day from from then as far as where I'm at, being able to work and direct and be effective with not just athletes. I want to work with people, just people as well. You know, now I want to help people. It doesn't have to be the athletic field, man. It can be it can be any arena. <clears throat> You know, one thing that's crucially important here, and when I do do talks, I always say this, is an individual, before they'll do any of these things we're talking about, there has to be something that drives them, motivates them, or excites them. They have to be driven, motivated, or excited about something, or they won't do any of these things we're talking about. So as long as you're somebody who is driven, motivated, or excited about something, we can work with that. And But that's really important because, you know, we talked about the extremes, the pain or, or the inspiration. Uh, the drive, motivated, and excited is just another way to say it. People will not do things unless they're driven, motivated, or excited. So um, if you have that, I know I can help. And, folks, if you need help getting in touch with him, shoot me an email, and I'll pass it along to Mark. Mark, we're going to have you back on again soon here, man. This has been a lot of – I wouldn't – you know, it's been a lot of fun, but it's been very uh, educational as well, and I'm feeling, feeling good about the day. So thank you for your time, sir. I greatly appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot. Like I said, I know – there's a lot more relevant people out there you could have on. So I I love talking about this, too. Uh, thanks a lot. No problem, man. Take care. See ya. And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Give us a review. Give us a rating. And share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life.